is The Business of Being Human. I'm Christine Hildebrand. And I'm Wendy Horn Brower of Intune Collective. We help leaders like you reinvent how you lead and operate, connecting you and your companies to greater possibility and performance. From joy to awareness to consciousness and capacity building, we know that business as usual isn't business at all. everyone, it's Wendy Horn Brower and Sophia Chansey here from Intune Collective. We're here today with another episode of The Business of Being Human. And we want to talk about something called human-centered design, or in other words, design thinking, because we feel like it's a tool that can be used to help face the scary, unknown future in ways that can bring teams together give leaders more information, and really solicit and collect ideas from the edges from throughout the organization in ways that might not be traditionally done. And there's a lot of fear around failing. And so this exercise really also helps us unpack fear and be more comfortable with taking risks in ways that's meaningful for our organizations. So with that, I thought I would send it over to Sophia to talk a little bit about, you know, design thinking. Let's set it up for people so that there's a deeper understanding of what we're talking about. Sounds great. Design thinking is not a new concept, right? It's been around for a while. And um, I'm just going to read the definition. Mm -hmm. Design thinking is a human-centered approach to innovation that draws from the designer's toolkit to integrate the needs of people, the possibilities of technology, and the requirements for business success. And so, you know, what what does that mean? Design thinking is really an iterative process. It's a nonlinear, iterative process to help us understand our customers, to help us understand our end users, to challenge the assumptions that we have, to challenge the assumptions around any particular product, and to redefine our approach to solutions and created innovative solutions that we can then prototype and test. And I think one of the one of the more important pieces around design thinking for me is that it starts with deep empathy for the customer or for our end user. That is, mm-hmm. you know, that is really the key. Um, we talk about knowing our customer, you know, know thy customer, all, um, <laughs> all salespeople, uh, myself included, were taught know thy customer. We were never taught have empathy for the customer and, and have mm. deep empathy for the customer, which I, I didn't realize until I um, started delving into design thinking. And mm-hmm. to me, that's what resonated. It's that deep empathy for the end user. Mm -hmm. Because so often products are designed because they're sexy or someone has an idea or new technology you want to try out. And you get often running right down a track without stopping and thinking, who's using this? How are they going to use it? It's like create it and then put it into the market and see what happens or force it into the market and see where it goes. And then you're making other decisions downstream. But to have deep empathy for the end user 
feels like you're dropping down a few more layers into the human experience. I was actually on a team of educators that got trained at Stanford D School, mm-hmm. which is where all a lot of this was birthed. You know, it's not rocket science. It's not something that has to happen at Stanford. But we did bring 13 uh, faculty and staff there, and we got to a tipping point where we could bring it, learn the skills, and bring it back within an organization to drive some further change. And so they put us into teams to ideate. And one of ours was to go think about a medical intervention or a medical service that could be productized that would help like college students. And so we spent the afternoon interviewing people on the quad, the diag, stopping them and asking them a series of questions. And the product that we came up with that day was something we called College Mom. is um, an app that college students could use when they had questions about laundry or medical oh, care great. or whatever. And they, they could just like crowdsource the answers in the early days. So we kind of listened to what the pain points were for the college students that we talked to. Did the app get created? Oh, no. It was oh. a proto. It, w- it was in the prototyping, and it was our, it, yeah. I mean, I remember that viscerally because there's a small team of us that worked on it, and we still talk about what happened to college mom. Mm. It could have been a great thing. I also remember how safety was created early on so that people could just, like, take the lid off their heads and just go into the ideation with, like, full abandon, you know, in a sense of play. That's an interesting point because how do you create that safety so that people feel like they can throw out the craziest idea and not feel judgment, Mm -hmm. especially if that craziest idea is something that could potentially work for the customer. So Mm -hmm. how do we create that safety for the teams to ideate and feel like, their craziest idea is okay to throw out and be considered. Mm-hmm. As a facilitator, one of the things I like to focus on is mixing up the groups so that you don't have managers in there taking up space or sharing their ideas without creating room first. It's like, as a manager, how do you step back? Mm-hmm. Also participating. And then I think guidelines, right? Like stepping in, stepping out, deep listening, making room. But underneath it, I think it's really that belief that ideas can come from anywhere and anyone, like really valuing your fellow colleague and thinking that wild idea can actually be there. And then I love pushing the envelope as a facilitator on like, um, what's the wild idea that you haven't named yet, but you've been keeping in your back pocket? Go ahead and put that out there. Let's come up with quantity. We have 10 seconds left. Can everyone come up with 30 more ideas in the next 10 seconds? <laughs> that's, gr- that's great. So what's interesting is that you create that safe container. And having that safe container doesn't mean that there isn't a structure, right, to, right. to this ideating. Because there is a structure to design thinking, and it does have mm-hmm. distinct phases. So we're what we are talking about is creating a safe container within which to ideate and try things. And there's a Mm -hmm. structure within that container as well. Yeah. And why don't you go through the structure and just letting people know that within the structure that Sophia is going to describe, it could be a two hour workshop where we're running through something like this. It could also be a day long Mm -hmm. And I've also seen it done in a whole series of events where you take each of the pieces of the structure that Sophia is going to describe, and each part of it might be 
a part of a day or part of a workshop. So don't think that you don't have time to do this. There's different ways around it. Right. And again, this could be done as a workshop to solve a particular problem or, and it could be a process that is used for problem solving throughout, right? The phases are to start with empathy, as we said, deep empathy for the consumer. So this is looking at end user sentiment and thinking about not just looking at the sentiment, but starting to empathize with that. If I were in this situation, how would that make me feel? How would I feel in terms of emotions? Happy, sad, angry, annoyed, whatever emotions may come up when looking at the user sentiment. What will I think? What will my actions be as an end user? Once we go through that empathy exercise and really understand what the end user is feeling, then is a good time to move into ideation. So this is where we're looking at new ideas, crazy ideas. This is, as you said, Wendy, quantity over quality. Let's throw out all of the crazy ideas. And, you know, this is a throw out your crazy ideas if there were no budget and no time constraints. Everything's on the table. And then we could try combinations of those ideas together. We could collaborate and build on each other's ideas. Um, I've done this exercise where we took the first two phases, empathize and ideate, with a team of 50 senior leaders from different departments within the organization, and they had to pick one issue to work on And within that issue, they empathized with the customer and then threw out the ideas. And it was interesting to see where the ideas were coming from. Uh, So from other departments that don't generally work on those issues. For example, we had a marketing issue we were working on and the ideas were coming from the finance department, from HR, from IT, and they were approaching the problem differently. And so we were able to do that particular exercise in about an hour. And the way we did um, the build on each other's ideas is we all wrote our ideas on a piece of paper. We were in person then. (laughs) And this this can be done online as well. And then we passed our paper with our idea to the person next to us so that they could add onto my idea or edit it or completely change it. And then we continued passing the uh, piece of paper around the table until it came back to me so that I could see how my original idea was able to be flipped, merged, turned over on its head. And then I had an opportunity to look at all of that information and see if I could construct something, something different or something edited from my original idea. So that's something we did within the hour, the ability to empathize and ideate. Once we hear all the perspectives from different backgrounds and we have all of the information, then we can move to selecting ideas for prototyping and testing. So this is where we explore the assumptions. This is, this is the testing, right? Let's see if any of this works. Let's create an MVP and see how it works with a target audience. And this is the opportunity 
to quickly test something, see whether it works, throw it out, move on to the next idea. And I think that's where, Wendy, you mentioned risk and failure. That's where this comes in. Mm -hmm. Not every idea that we're going to select for testing and prototyping will work out. So what is the tolerance for failure of these ideas? And letting go of ego. And letting go of it. So when you created your college mom application, Mm -hmm. how many other ideas did you discard? Yeah, we created a matrix, which ones would be easier to create and have a higher impact. And we kind of went through that as a decision-making filtering. I don't remember exactly how many, but usually this is a credit to a colleague of mine um, who used to say, shoot for Uranus, (laughs) you may land on Mars. (laughs) And I know that the name of the planet is pronounced much differently now, but, you know, that's what we used to say to ourselves all the time. And it just reminded me to like stretch. And, um, you know, the, the side benefit of letting go of ego, of going fast, and it's also getting the, the ideas out there without being perfect about them, not needing to go go into the details of it, but being able to look at the broad strokes and have that inform the decision making enough to say, oh, yeah, this is worth taking out to market and testing. So one of the things that we did with testing, for example, with another exercise was the prototype looked like moving chairs around Mm. and sitting together as if we were on an airplane because we were designing something, a medical device like that could be used on airplanes. And so in the passenger seat, we got to embody the experience of what it was like to interact with this iPad thing that they passed around that had scotch tape and stickers on it right and like which buttons are we going to push for what and so it was really fun to play like that because as adults we don't get to do that that much no and that's that's the opportunity right to play and test in the prototyping and testing as you were talking about that um, I am recalling the toy testing that Mattel does in their headquarters there's a testing area where kids can come in when a new toy is being brought to market. Um, You can sign up as a tester and kids of various ages come in and play with the toys and they're Mm -hmm. observed to see how long Mm -hmm. they're playing with the toy. Is it holding their attention? Are they discarding it really quickly? And then decisions are made based on on that test. Mm -hmm. I'd love to do that, fortunately. A bit over the age of people they... um, they want in that lab. I'm sorry, Sophia. <laughs> I know. It is it just sounds so fun. Sitting on the floor and playing with toys. But um once we're done with testing and prototyping, then we kind of have a few options, right? If our testing worked, mm-hmm. then we move on to potential implementation. If the testing didn't work, then we have another idea that we could go after. We could continue ideation. And this is where we build upon what's, what's working and, and the collaboration and continuing to iterate together. So it's, it's building that muscle of what do we do when the prototyping and testing doesn't work out? Mm-hmm. And how do, you, how do you consider it a learning experience rather than an experience that brings you down as a, mm-hmm. you know, the word failure kind of um, has a negative connotation. That's right. Rather than learning. 
So what you're really describing is are parts of the things that organizations and teams can gain from design thinking. So you've named that there's the empathizing, the ideation period, the prototyping and testing. And what it is is rinsing and repeating, choosing the winners, the winners, quote unquote, if you can see me in quotes. <laughs> winners. The winners. Um, and then pulling <laughs> on them so that you're refining. It's really the refinement process. And yeah. you get... Outcomes that look like this, like a collaborative spirit where, where people work and iterate together, an innovative spirit that can be in cross-functional teams that come together just for this, but then they go back to their teams and infuse it in the work and the processes beyond. You know, they learn together and the relationships that, that go with that. Sort of a lab mentality, like could we all be curious explorers, scientists, adventurers within our roles and then to have pilot programs that where we can get more feedback and again, go back to that revision process and keep learning and become a very deliberately developmental organization where learning is embedded throughout. We can do sprints to learn, like we said, or we can have a longer arc. And through all of this, we're creating buy-in and creating alignment and having synergy on teams where people really kind of lock in and come into step with each other. It's like learning dance moves and getting on the floor and, you know, it, it works because you can feel the energy of alignment really click into place. I love that. I love the learning dance moves analogy because to me, that's sort of the analogy to use when talking about failure and risk having to be acceptable to an organization. Because mm -hmm. when you learn to dance, especially with a partner, you're going to step on some feet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and without that, you're not going to learn the dance moves, nor are you going to trust each other to do the right thing. So how do we have that conversation with teams and certainly with leadership teams around what's, what's the acceptability of failure in an mm -hmm. organization and how do you view failure? That's right. Do you view it as a learning experience or is it something really negative? Because some people and leaders have a physical reaction to the word failure. It all depends on how we were raised, you know, in the culture in which we were raised. And um, it takes some conscious awareness of that baggage or that mindset that can hold us back because this is the kind of leadership that mindset that's going to be really needed going forward, not only for yourself, but to be allowing for other people to take the risk and move into um, ideating as well. So what are the challenges that organizations face when they try to implement design thinking? It's probably less implementing design thinking. I think the, the empathy and the ideation part are great. Mm -hmm. I think challenges start when we go into testing and piloting and then repeating. So what happens when things don't work out? Specifically, it's difficult to budget for this. Right. There's an investment, right, when you get into piloting. and Right. There's an investment and um, a test won't always work out. So how do we budget for that? You know, if you ask a scientist, how many times do you need to conduct an experiment to create an acceptable result? The answer is, I don't know, maybe a mm -hmm. hundred, maybe a thousand. That's what experimenting is. You change the variables until you get the right result. Or consistency. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying um, in business we experiment forever. Mm -hmm. 
we do have to know when to stop and move on. And normally the budgeting structure, which which follows a yearly budget, isn't necessarily set up for that. So how do you how do you create structure within the budgeting for innovation and experimentation? And then as we've been talking about, how do you bring into the culture of the organization that ability to accept innovation? A lot of organizations will say we're innovative. And as an innovative organization, what is your level of acceptance of failure and how do you use that word in your organization? Is it part of your vocabulary and is it a positive part of your vocabulary? You know, how does, how does the leadership team talk about it? How do you talk Mm -hmm. about failure and is there transparency around that? What are some repeatable practices around ideating and testing, piloting, failing, moving on? Mm -hmm. And is it acceptable to move on? You've mentioned something around kids learning this in school, which our generation didn't necessarily learn? Yeah, I mean, kids are learning design thinking in, I know certainly for progressive education, but it's moving into this maker movement. And the whole intention for those parents of you listening to this is that, you know, we want to teach kids critical thinking skills, you know, the open creativity, the creative common mentality where you're coordinating with other people and sharing ideas and you're building upon each other. It's a very yes and way of thinking and and doing. And so from kindergarten on, because I've seen it happen through higher ed, um, it's definitely a skill where educators have seen for uh, over a decade now that this is the skill of the future that um, kids need to have exposure and practice with in order to be ready for the workforce that's coming online pretty soon. Well, that's interesting then that workforce and that's probably those graduating high school and college soon, Mm -hmm. they will have the social emotional learning and self-awareness that is being taught in schools and this design thinking that's being taught in schools. So we are potentially looking at a, a very new generation of leaders with those skills. And I'm, I'm very excited to see uh, how they incorporate that learning into how they lead in the future. And then I think we've been talking about it. The the other thing here and the challenging aspect is reframing failure. So failure isn't necessarily a, a lack of success or inability to achieve what we set out to achieve it's a learning opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's an opportunity to learn and change how we do things differently or how we pivot, which pivot should be a fairly familiar word for everyone because we've done this for the past two years from the start of the pandemic. We've all had to pivot how we do business, how we come together and how we communicate and and (laughs) how we safely connect. Mm -hmm. So pivoting, should be a a fairly familiar word and emotion for all of us. And that's, that's what failure teaches us is how to pivot, how to develop resilience and keep going. They say that happiness is the gap between expectation and reality. And if we can go 
through our lives with the knowledge that change will happen, that the need to pivot will be there and just expect that it will show up, then how do we create that openness of accepting change as it happens? It's like, oh, there it is. Oh, yeah. Okay, so we try this experiment. Oh, yeah, we're going to change. And that's what, you know, Reed Hoffman, one of the founders of Netflix, for example, talks about is like, take a great idea run with it, like go, go get resource, build your allies and go run with it and then pivot and learn to drop it if it's not working, but follow up with the next great idea. Go, go stack your ideas on top of it and see, like make it as good or better than the original idea. And if you can't, again, it's time to drop that and move on to the next one. So it's really mm-hmm. um, knowing how to do it uh, in an iterative way so that pivoting is just part of the pattern of behavior and it's not something that you spend a lot of time energy resources holding on to it's sunk cost that's already been invested in the exploration how do you take the learning and really use it in real time as much as possible yeah and that takes courage right it Mm -hmm. takes courage to drop something it takes courage to acknowledge that something's not working Mm -hmm. and it takes courage to make a decision to drop something that's not working and move on that's right. And that is certainly a capability that has to be developed in an organization. And leaders have to have the courage to make those decisions and communicate them transparently to teams. So design thinking as a whole has benefits that play on the modern, imminent, necessary skills for leaders and teams to have. Kids are learning it in school, so it's coming whether we're ready for it or not. And it takes courage and will to try it out. But it's a framework that you can learn about by going to the Stanford D School site. There's free uh, resources there. You can even tap into their K-12 lab. There's information if you want to learn more. You can also go to IDEO. They have courses on design thinking or human-centered design, alternative wording. And Intune Collective offers design thinking workshops. So we can curate a bespoke experience for your teams to get you through iteration process for a solution that you want to see happen. We can also help you build innovation more deeply into the roots and the fabric of your community and organization. So if you're interested in listening and any of this appeals to you, go commit to get started. Uh, Go read, watch, learn take a a little deep dive into design thinking. And if you'd like to reach out, we are at intunecollective.com or email us directly at ignite at intunecollective.com. We would so love to hear from you. Absolutely. And it's been great chatting about this, Wendy. It's something that you and I are very enthusiastic about. So it's fun to like take a passion lens and and come in to uh, be of service to whoever is experiencing this as a new idea for the first time or wants to go a little deeper in exploring it. Absolutely. This is a fun process to go through. Yeah. Thanks, Sophia. Thanks, Wendy. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. to the business of being human has intrigued you, inspired you, encouraged you, we would appreciate it if you rated and left us a review on Apple Podcasts. 
This will help others find the show. The Business of Being Human is a production of Intune Collective. It is produced and edited by Elizabeth Joy Windham. Executive producers are Christine Hildebrand and Wendy Horn Brower. Our theme music is by Adrian Walther. It is called Empowered. Cover and episode art is by Lisa Hardy. You can find all of our episodes and learn more about the services of Intune Collective at IntuneCollective.com.